Hi, welcome to Unscripted by Twine. I'm Diana Rao, and I'm your host. In this podcast, my guests choose from a library of deep and thought-provoking questions, and we just talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes. Our hypothesis is that as long as we choose meaningful questions, we'll end up in a conversation worth having. As Carl Sagan says, we make our world significant by the courage of our questions and the depth of our answers. Ready? Let's go. I do have questions about your, because I find it fascinating from the way that I grew up, but your story and what your core values of freedom, I want to hear more about that. You're turning the script on me. Okay, I love it. Um, Yeah, so, okay, so I think the core values of freedom, it, it has to start with where this came from. I mean, I only now realize that one of my core values is freedom. For the longest time, I, I didn't realize it. Um, I looked at it more as a flaw. And the flaw was, um, since, since, since probably being a teenager or even younger, I crave, I called it being rebellious, but I crave freedom. Like, I needed to be free all the time. And I grew up in a pretty, like, I would say, a draconian household, <laughs> um, you know, not to throw my parents under the bus. I love them very much. We've, you know, there's a lot that's happened over the years and they become very different people. But when we were kids, like it was um, very hard to not be rebellious. And so I, I think from a very young age, I was, I cultivated this sense of extreme rebellion. Um, and so did my sister, and my brother, both younger siblings have that too in space in their own ways. And it's manifested huge, like in massive ways. For me, it was entrepreneurialism. Like I went straight you know, left Ohio as soon as I could, got as far as way, uh, far away as I could. I went to Georgetown, went to DC, and then after that started a company in Shanghai. So it was all like, to some extent, many of my motivations were running, running from things, running from constraints, running from systems. It was funny because even when I, in Georgetown, what I was studying was political economy. I was going to go into politics. I went to the school of foreign service, but the political system even in and of itself felt too constrained, constraining. It felt like uh, I did this internship in the department of education and just the red tape and having ideas and being told not to do it that way, like, ah, and hard copy papers and filing. And I was like, wait, why don't we digitize all this? Like, let's just do, oh no, we have to do it this way. Like we have to keep all the physical copies. I'm literally like, I just don't understand why, why we would do anyway. So it was just very hard. So I, in some part, even rejected the path I took originally to go to politics in part because I was seeking more freedom. And freedom to me, the, the ultimate sense, like the ultimate version of it came in entrepreneurialism. And it wasn't like, I think for coming where I came from, entrepreneurialism wasn't even a career pathway. It wasn't like something that was cool or interesting or anyone I knew was doing. It was just more, oh, wow, as I'm here studying in Shanghai, there are real socioeconomic problems. There's real injustice happening here um, between different economic classes. And it's like, oh, well, sky's the limit. Let's just solve that problem. And then all of a sudden, that was like my foray into the entrepreneurial world, in which I think that was where I found my first real understanding of what freedom could feel like, the freedom to create, the freedom to solve. Um, and I was lucky in that it was China, and it was like the wild west of China, and there were truly no rules, um, especially when you're building like a social impact business where you're doing something that's kind of avant-garde, no rules at all. And so I got a taste of like what wildness felt like, and I think, yeah, so freedom, like freedom from the perspective of entrepreneurialism is one big pillar. And then there's sort of other pillars of freedom that I've learned over the years um, that have just brought this to the forefront of 
a lot of my thinking, you know, does that, what does that start for you? Does that make sense? It, absolutely. Um, in a completely different capacity, I grew up very religious and very restrained. To, I mean, the, I would say borderline cultish extreme of religion of the rules that we grew up with. And so I felt constrained my entire childhood. And even when I went to college, um, which is a whole nother story, but they pulled me aside and asked me why I always had to push the envelope. And I was like, why am I meant to be in an envelope? <laughs> like, <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's why, like, I want to hear your story because I, I felt that my whole life, like, don't tell me what I can't do. And if anything, you tell me what I can't do. And I'm like, sweet. Like my friends all know if they want me to do something, they tell me I can't do it. And like, now I'm older and psychologically, I'm like, can't play that game with me anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> What's the, what's the most um, ridiculous example of that? A friend saying, hmm, Nicole, you can't do that. Oh, oh. Um, I was not allowed to leave college, the, the campus, unless I had three girls with me and one of them had to be an approved girl. I had to write a pass and tell exactly what hours and where I was going and leave it on my door. What? Yeah. Wait, what kind of a college was this? It was a religious it was a very interesting, there's a lot that I'm still unpacking. <laughs> like, what did I, but it was all I'd never known. So it wasn't like I knew to, I mean, I knew it wasn't necessarily completely normal, but I didn't know how abnormal it was until I finished college and got out. And I was like, wow, can't believe I made it out of that. Mm, yeah, that's like the handmaiden's tale. You know, yeah. literally, the moment we said that, I was like, oh, geez. I don't know. The, you, you know, it's interesting how freedom, um, came into also came I mean so my experience with freedom can't exist without my experience of, of powerlessness those two are yeah. so closely linked and I think it's um you know yeah. I think for probably after I after college after building my first companies like I was able to go and create the world in which I wanted to live in and that world um in that world there were very few circumstances in which I would feel powerless and, and I think it was only, so coming back to the U S there was like to build once I was working on Betterati, um, when I was in Georgia and we, we had talked about this a little bit, that was like the first time I felt truly powerless in the truest sense, like to, to, to the extent where to this day, I think it took me years to process that level of feeling of powerlessness. And then to finally understand why it was so difficult because of how much I value freedom. You know, but also I think it was the most important thing because I, I don't think I could understand my relationship with freedom without a relationship with powerlessness. And I think in different versions, powerlessness did manifest in smaller versions, but it was never so acute as, you know, trying yeah. to get an abortion in Georgia. Yeah, that right. like, that like as a woman, I've never felt so powerless. And I was just like, and after that, it's actually, it's built a lot of empathy. I think that's, I'm grateful. Like, I'm actually deeply grateful because I really don't think I would understand freedom without feeling some semblance of powerlessness. And to some extent, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's what I would call powerless light compared to what a lot of people have experienced in terms of systemic and enduring powerlessness for years and years and years for their entire lives. For me, it was an acute situation. And for that, I'm, you know, grateful and lucky, but also at the same time, I know I can bring myself straight into that moment where it's just like, man, a bunch of people I didn't know, you know, who didn't look like me and were the opposite sex of me decided they could make a decision around my body. And I was like really very angry for a very long time. Like I was just so angry 
so angry. So I guess that also comes back to, you know, the question for you, did you have an experience where your, you know, your, the way you value freedom was juxtaposed with a, a true situation of real, like real powerlessness, whether it was in your religious upbringing or other ways that it's brought it into stark contrast in a way where you can really appreciate what freedom feels like. Um, yes. So there's a lot there. And I know the first conversation we had was about my older brother. So there was a series of events from my older brother passed away within the year. My family actually moved overseas to Africa to go do mission work. So they kind of wanted to take their hurt and like take it and kind of guess in that, that same aspect of life of where you feel like they were, they were grieving the loss of their son and just wanted to use it for good. And so in that moment, they decided to go overseas. But for me, it was my first year of college and just graduated from high school. And I felt like I lost my core support. So then going into college and, and feeling this extreme version of powerlessness only went greater when I got engaged to a guy who was abusive but I didn't know, and my parents were overseas, and I didn't really have a great support system from the church. And so when they moved back, I wind up, this is a long story, but kind of unpacking the, I got married um, at a justice of peace because the rules of the church and the way I was living and I wasn't married. And so I was like, that's okay. I'm not losing my family again. And so then it went into three years of a very rough relationship where I felt powerless and I didn't to your point where you're in it you don't know that that's what it is but I just in fact this weekend I went back up there for a wedding for a friend's wedding and one of the ladies that at one point where he was abusive I'd gone to stay at her house and she was there at the wedding and I said do you remember the night I stayed at your house and she said yes absolutely um I've seen a lot of women in this church go through that and a lot of them don't ever understand that how dark of a place it is when you get to that point where you stop caring and you have no self-confidence and you you just, it's a very dark place of powerlessness. So when you're able to get on the other side of that, it is the most empowering thing where you realize that's a choice and I don't ever have to go back there again. And so I think at this point in my life, I guess to that contrast, I'm still seeking that. And I have, you know, the, the decisions that I've made to like lead me up to this point where I feel like I have the most freedom I've ever had mm -hmm. and understanding how much my thoughts play into that and how much but I guess to your point of empathy, it definitely makes me like want to empower other women with the stories that have been passed down and how much we can question those and take back our own power for our own lives. And it's not this, I hate men, I hate, you know, it's just a, you, you, that we're equals, right? We're, and it seems like in some ways around the world, that's what, I can't believe we're still having this conversation. You know, there are really strong, amazing women who are in leadership, but there are still so many of them that I meet day-to-day -day people who I'm like, how can I help you to understand and to take your power back? Because it really is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a conversation that I have with people and more so with women in my life mm. based off of my experience. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about empowering others reminds me of um, a quote that a friend shared with me when he said something like, uh, you just you know, you can't be free while others are in chains, right? And there's something, there's, I think there's the quest for individual freedom, and then there's the understanding of how so many freedoms are restricted for so many people, whether it's Black communities or women or, or men as well, like all different communities have their own version of, I don't know, I don't want to call it shackles, walls, whatever it happens to be. And it's just, 
Yeah, it's if now it's more now than ever. I find myself thinking about freedom more now than ever because you know I felt powerless in these acute situations that are very personal to me, and then seeing others experience a different kind of powerlessness that I was never privy to. Like I, I haven't experienced the kind of powerlessness you have, but I'm experiencing it through you. So it's all through conversations. I feel like through every conversation, you start understanding. The different versions of what powerlessness looks like and how i mean there's like almost in my mind there's like there's two kinds of freedom and there's there's the external world of freedom which is the world of justice the world of law all these like real civil liberties that's the external world of freedom and then on the other side there's the internal world of freedom but i almost and, and that like the internal world of freedom has everything to do with our minds and our ability to change our reality by thinking different things right um, but there's a part of me that almost wonders, you know, it's a luxury to be able to even ponder internal freedoms, right? Yeah. And I, I think part of the reason I've been sort of feeling quite guilty, even about the way I think about freedom, is a lot of my energy prior to all of the protests that have happened now, ha and all like, the, I feel like we're having a race reset in this country, which is so necessary, but almost all my energy was dedicated towards thinking about what internal freedom looked like when we haven't, we hadn't even solved, we still haven't even solved the problem of external freedoms for so many people. And it just makes me think like, gosh, you know, I think it, it's almost as if, um, I don't know, the whole, the whole self-help revolution that came around in the 1990s came just a little too early. And there were other things that maybe should have been solved before, but I don't know, because how do you weigh that internal versus external freedom, the importance of those things? I would have to say that I, I kind of disagree. Yeah. Only because, um, so I'm, again, stories of like analogies, and I could be wrong, but this is the way I see the world at the moment. My family went from hurting to taking that hurt and wanting to give to others and wanting to go make a difference in the world. But in doing so, there was a lot of hurt with my younger siblings. There was a lot of hurt that internally it's almost like that concept of I can't fill, I can't pour from an empty vessel. So if I don't know how to look inward and to find my own solidarity, and then how do I have the capacity? It's like man's love's hierarchy of needs. If I don't understand, hey, I get to choose these freedoms and I now know what that looks like, now I can go, I have the capacity to be like, you know what, I'm good, I'm okay, let me go then, give, because I found what that looks like internally. And I think I, again, watched my parents give and give and give and give mm -hmm. and to where they had nothing left. And it, it kind of broke them, which not, isn't necessarily bad, but I guess, not, again, not that it's right or wrong or that there's extreme versions where you absolutely can't, but I think you're, yeah, there's systems, but I, I was actually having this conversation with my roommate about, she's like, you know, there's conversations right now about race and what happens if it just dies down. But I think the thing is, is if you look at, um, what I what I personally know, right? I can't speak to race because like you said, I have so much privilege that I, I don't, I can't, I can try to empathize, but I really don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. But I can try to understand, okay, well, well there's women's rights and, and what were they a hundred years ago and how far we've come to where I now have the freedom and I have the privilege to look to stronger women than I going, man, these women have paved the way. I now get to take that baton and that torch and I get to carry it further for, for the next generation. And I think that we as a society are doing a great job of that. And yes, there's still some basic, really fundamental things that we have not addressed. But I, my parents talk about growing up in the first generation of integration with school, you know, the blacks and whites. So how far have we come since my parents were in school? 
and no, it hasn't been fixed from the front, but I think that as a culture and as a generation, we're now at a place where we have the capacity because of self-help. We have the technology. We have the people who are like, we've progressed enough where we're like, hey, I have the capacity now to go fight for you because I'm not struggling to know, you know, I, maybe I'm wrong in all of that, but that's, that's my thoughts on it. No, it's a really, I think it's a really valid perspective in that, um, like you have to start with inside out, right? That's, that's calm. It's Confucius said the same thing. Like you can't fix the world until you fix yourself in many ways. Otherwise the motivation also can be coming from the wrong place, right? Whether it's like I'm motivated to make change for validation or to feel better about myself or to feel less guilty. I think that was something that I heard that was most powerful. You were saying what happens when the conversation dies down. I think it was um, the author, Ibram X. Kendi, who was saying, uh, he wrote this book, How to Be anti-racist that just came out. And he, he was saying something like, um, the conversation will die down if people are only looking to feel good with their actions, whether it's just to feel good by protesting, feel good by donating. And then that's enough. That's enough for them to feel better. And if the thing they're seeking is just feeling better, then change won't happen. So I think that like, there's something about, I'm still trying to reconcile the two bits of uh, motivation your internal comp like all this matters so it does have to come from a place where you can nurture like you can't burn yourself to the ground obviously but the inside out part how does it like how do you balance i was talking with a friend last night about this it was just she was saying something like um you know i feel guilty the nights that i decide to stay in and have a conversation with my friends instead of go out and protest like there's this balance right where it's just like okay it feels selfish to spend the time on the self right? It feels selfish to watch anything on Netflix except for, unless it's about race, right? It's like all these parts. So how do we, there's a question of how we balance it. And then I think it, what makes it all worse then is the understanding that some people don't get that choice ever to choose between turning it on and off. And so I, I struggle with that because I, I definitely understand exact, because I, I believe that I, if you asked me two years ago, I would have been hundred percent in the same place as you, like absolutely in terms of internal out. But I think there's something that at least for me, I'm just not grasping yet the how those two philosophies come together. The idea that you can't be free when everyone else, when others are in chains, one part, and the idea that you also can't be free if you're constantly trying to help others be free, but you yourself are not free. So it's like how those are two, how, how do they work together? You know, I'm like, I literally don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have my wheels turning around like, I, I don't know. It really is a great question. I just, I, I don't, I obviously don't have any answers. But <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> just impossible questions. I mean, part yeah. of it, maybe it has to do with uh, in making others and helping others to become free, you also become more free yourself. But that's only, we also know that's only part of the equation, like you were talking about with your parents. They burn themselves helping, they burn themselves out helping others and broke themselves eventually to the point where they couldn't give anymore. And that's another reality. So it's very complicated. I feel like it's very complex. This con the conversation of freedom is just extremely complex. Right. Yeah. But I think that's exactly like every podcast that you listen to for, you know, X amount of time where you just listen to people and it, it's those layers of there's something in there that, that sparks this conversation or thought in yourself that you go and then, but amidst ourselves, like between the conversations. And again, because we have this platform of social media where we have the ability to share and to connect and to grow and to learn from each other, which we've 
I tell this to my mom all the time. I'm like, there's so many things that I learned about grief, about processing, about things that she grew up with a whole yeah. dynamic of crazy stories. And I'm like, I can only imagine that you've never processed or done this, but you didn't have the resources. So it's my job as I, you know, with great responsibility, with great privilege comes great responsibility. So as I learn, I'm like, I need to go teach my nieces and nephews. I need to go share with my siblings. I need to go to my parents and say, hey, this is where I can make an impact because these are the things that are making an impact for me. And so when it goes to that next level of, hey, there's conversations around what needs to be changed and how can I show up in the world and how can I unlearn and how can we do better that allows us to, to, to continue to shift in our culture and to figure out how we can show up and be there for each other. I, yeah, I love that. And I like, I really, I get that so much too with my parents and the same, the same sort of thing, you know, they grew up in communist China. So, I mean, my mom did at least. And so it's just a whole different world with a whole different set of resources or non-resources around everything, right? Freedom and love and what marriage, all these things. Um, hard convert. So bring back those learnings to your family. Have you found, have you found it difficult in any circumstances to share those learn? Like I find it sometimes Sometimes it's so much easier to have this type of a conversation um, and not be judged when you're talking to someone who's not family, who doesn't know all your scars for the last like 30 years and judge you immediately based on who you were as a child. So I'm curious about how you bring those conversations back, um, where, what, where, what have been successes and then where have the failures been and how do you think about that? Um, I think that it is a, like us as humans, it is a constant evolving thing. And the first few times it was that, I felt super sick in my stomach and nervous to bring it up and kind of just, it's super uncomfortable because like you said, these are people who've known you your whole life, mm -hmm. but I think like anything, it's just a muscle that you can develop. And so I've honestly seen my family come back and tell me, Hey, this things that you taught me, or mm -hmm. it's, it's working. I've had conversations with my siblings walking in and I have this privilege of being the single person. So with five siblings, I get to go spend time with each one and see their relationships and give them feedback that is unsolicited. And I'm like, by the way, I want you to know that you have every right to tell me to shut the cup and get out because I'm walking in your home. But you also know that this is, I'm a nerd and I love psychology and I talk about all the things that I learn. And I don't want you to mess up your children because of some dynamic that you miss. And I see this, maybe you should have this conversation with your daughter because there's this, there's, there's something that's missing. She's trying and you're, you know, so I show up and I give this like, again, unsolicited advice to like, I just want to show up and help. But if there's a way that I can help with all the things that I'm learning and it, it isn't always received, but I definitely feel like now versus two years ago when I first started having these conversations, it's so much easier. And if anything, they'll come ask me now, which is really exciting because I feel like they're more open to learning and they're more open to, okay, what does this look like? That's incredible. I'm thinking about a couple family situations right now through your frame of reference. You know, it reminds me of, um, a friend said to me, and it's so funny. I have like, I don't know why I quote people so much. Like I just, it, whatever you're saying, I'm like, oh yeah, a friend reminded me. This reminds me of something my friend said. Specifically, <laughs> right, specifically like um, that you earn the right to speak into people's lives. And what it sounds like is by showing up over and over again for your siblings, they trust you enough like to be like, you've earned the right to speak into my life. Whereas, you know, if you're sort of thinking about that estranged uncle who you haven't seen for a while that you think is, you know, trying to vote for Trump or whatever, and you're just going to call him out, like, that's probably not, you haven't earned the right to even, like, you won't be heard. You can speak, but you just won't be heard. So it won't be received. So I wonder if, 
like when you were thinking about speaking into your family's lives, did you think about, um, did you come, come from it in that way of, okay, do I feel like I've earned the right to speak into this person's life? Do I feel like maybe this person, hmm, I need to just be there for them more before I speak? Or how, how did you calibrate? Or do you feel like you just have such strong relationships that you've really earned the right to speak to everyone that you decided to speak with? That's a great question. I don't know that I had the thought process that I earned it. It was more of a, I just get really excited and I want to teach you. I want, and, and I tell them before a conversation and even from the beginning, I still say it, but I'm like, I know that I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. I don't have the day-to-day responsibilities that you do. Therefore, I have the time and the capacity to go be a nerd and to dig into these things. And while I, I want to share and I get really excited about these really impactful moments of something that clicks and I'm like, we're so similar as family that I know you have to have the same thought process. And so if it helps me, I feel like it could help you and I want to share it with you. You could take it or leave it, but here's these things. And it, I think it honestly started out with more resources. You should listen to this podcast. I know you would love this book. And after so many, they would pick up one and they're like, actually, that was really good. So it was just this like slow evolution of not necessarily that I think that I earned it, but I just, I maybe because I'm very passionate about my family and they do know that I love them. And it was more of a, I just want to share this with you because...